The opening session of the 15th General Assembly brought together a stellar cast of international statesmen, the like of which the United Nations, and its predecessor, the League of Nations, had seldom seen. Among the ten heads of state, thirteen prime ministers, and seventy or more foreign ministers in attendance, were some of the biggest global political stars of all. Dwight David Eisenhower, the 34th President of the United States, and a Second World War hero. Nikita Khrushchev, the pugnacious leader of the world's other superpower, the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics. The Prime Ministers of Great Britain, Canada and Australia, and major players from the Global South, including Nehru, Sukarno, Kwame Nkrumah and Nasser. In the decade or so that followed the Second World War, the European powers had seen their empires collapse on a scale and at a pace that had been scarcely imaginable when the UN was founded on the 24th of October 1945. Among those joining India in the UN were Pakistan in 1947, Burma 1948, Indonesia 1950, Cambodia, Ceylon, Laos in 1955, Morocco, Sudan, Tunisia in 1956, Ghana and Malaya 1957, and Guinea 1958. Then, in 1960, the so-called Year of Africa, 16 of the 17 new nations admitted to the United Nations were newly independent African states. As well as taking place at a key moment in the history of decolonisation, the 15th session of the General Assembly was also opening against a wider backdrop of international tension. Despite a brief thaw in the Cold War, which had seen Khrushchev meet with Eisenhower at Camp David in September 1959, hopes for better relations had quickly soured. In the bitter aftermath of the U-2 incident, in which an American spy plane had been shot down over Russia, on the 1st of May 1960, Khrushchev lashed out at the perfidy of the United States. Storming out of disarmament talks in Paris later that month, the Soviet leader retaliated by ratcheting up the tension over Berlin. Deep in communist East Germany, the divided city, which remained occupied by Britain, France, the United States and the Soviet Union, was viewed by Khrushchev as a fishbone in his throat. Travelling back from Paris, the Soviet leader had stopped off in East Berlin, where, before an audience of 10,000, he denounced Eisenhower's treachery and threatened to sign a separate peace treaty with the GDR, a move that would end Western rights of occupation. While diplomats were keeping a nervous eye on Berlin, a far greater crisis was underway in the Congo. Pre-independence elections held in May had seen Patrice Lumumba a former postal clerk and left-wing nationalist, become Prime Minister. The Belgians, who, to put it mildly, had little time for Lumumba, were incensed when, in an Independence Day speech, delivered before an audience that included Baduin, King of the Belgians, he excoriated the injustice, oppression and exploitation of the former colonial regime and celebrated the end to the humiliating bondage which was imposed upon us by force. We shall show the world, Lumumba declared, what the black man can do when working in liberty, and we shall make the Congo the pride of Africa. It was not to be. 
Almost immediately, the country began to fragment. In July, with the active encouragement of Belgian mining, mining interests and government officials, the mineral-rich province of Katanga attempted to secede. As the country slipped into chaos and Belgium sent in troops to protect its citizens, Lumumba appealed to the UN for help. On the 13th of July, the Security Council voted to send thousands of peacekeepers to oversee a Belgian withdrawal and ensure the Congo's stability. But, dismayed that the forces would not be immediately sent into Katanga, Lumumba turned to Moscow for assistance. During the early years of the Cold War, Stalin had viewed non-communist movements for national liberation in Africa and Asia as class enemies. His successor, though, took a very different approach. Khrushchev was keen to build anti-imperialist alliances across the Third World, and argued that the Soviet Union offered the newly independent nations a clear alternative to the capitalist West's model of economic modernization, one free from the stain of colonial exploitation. Alongside long-term credit, technical assistance, trade agreements, scientific cooperation and arms, came a charm offensive. In the autumn of 1955, for instance, Khrushchev spent almost two months in Asia, travelling thousands of miles, visiting cultural and historic sites, and greeting crowds that turned out in their hundreds of thousands. During his decade in power, the Soviet Union sponsored thousands of projects across the Third World, often at enormous expense. High-profile recipients of Moscow's largesse included India, Ghana, Egypt, Cuba, and, briefly, the Congo. In early August 1960, Khrushchev promised Lumumba the friendly and disinterested help of the Soviet government. Arms, as well as humanitarian aid, soon followed. US officials, convinced that the Congolese Prime Minister was a Castro or worse, now began covertly to seek Lumumba's removal. The CIA hatched an assassination plot, and the Eisenhower administration encouraged the Congolese military to take over. On the eve of the General Assembly, Joseph Desiree Mobutu, a Lumumba confidant and army chief of staff, staged a coup. Lumumba, holed up in his official residence, was now reliant on UN troops to prevent his arrest. While these extraordinary international dramas were unfolding, the UN's host country, the United States, was itself on the cusp of seismic political and social change. In 